Welcome to The Watching Dead, the officially unofficial podcast for The Walking Dead on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 7, Episode 2, titled The Well. Uh, what do you think of this episode? I thought it was pretty good. I okay. thought it was pretty... It was yeah. it's, It was definitely a departure from last week's uh, angst-o-rama uh-huh. and violence-o-rama, but it introduced, I think, a slew of new appealing characters. Um, it finally... Well, not finally, but it brought more nuance to like the moralizing and the differences of uh, philosophies that uh, that that Carol and and uh, Morgan have, mm-hmm. and introduced some interesting new dynamics between those new groups and our old established characters. So, what's what's not to like? Yeah, uh, I roughly feel the same. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I I did like seeing some new people introduced, a new place introduced. Um, you know, it's kind of, in some ways, a rehash of things like Woodbury or things right. like Alexandria, or not Alexandria, the prison, or even Alexandria when we first meet it. Um, but I think there's a, a different enough spin in that Ezekiel seems to be a little more aware of how to keep this place together. <laughs> yeah, like... It's nice to see a Woodbury with more of a benign mm-hmm. leadership. Like, your alarm bells go off because the guy seems like he's a nutter. Right. But then by the end of the episode, he definitely, I think you said self-aware. That's a good term to use. Like, he's yeah. he's just as surprised as anybody that this is working, but it is working for this particular community and this particular group, and it's it's holding them together. And yeah. providing, you know, this this Arthurian legend construct is providing them with some kind of, I, 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 uh, what do you, what would you call it, civil civil structure mm-hmm. that otherwise could could have something going down the the Negan path or the Governor path or even the the Rick Grimes crazy gun farmer path, like <laughs> right. Um, it's a it's a different way to organize a society, and it doesn't feel particularly realistic, but. It's The Walking Dead, so right. Um, it, it, it's a kind of a breath of fresh air, I think, at this point. Yeah, and also the way he's dealing with the outside forces, right? I mean, he's not trying to directly defy Negan, which you can imagine Rick doing. Um, he's not going out and trying to swallow up the world and kill everything that doesn't fall in line with him, much right. like uh, the governor was. Like he seems to have a straighter head on his shoulders as to what it takes to get by here, and I think. Yeah, that's servicing his community well, right? Uh, but yeah, there's you know obviously there's a couple of things that are eye rolling. I think a lot of it is intentional. Okay, like the fact that everywhere you've got King Ezekiel sayings inscribed on walls, right? And like the the choir playing, uh, you know, Bob Dylan music, like that uh-huh. stuff is kind of like oh Jesus, but. I mean, it kind of feels like a cult. It had a lot of feeling like it's got a charismatic, mm-hmm. creepy, hippie leader who's got a bunch. Of, I mean, I, I don't know if we'll ever get to a point where he's got multiple wives or whatnot. But, um, I mean, maybe that's on a meta level some kind of unrealistic thing that you'd have this guy who's got so much personal power and charisma. And he's been doing this for at least a year. We know that because of uh, Benjamin's talk about his father and when that happened right he's been doing this for a year or two and he's got this tiger and he's not lording the power over people i mean is he the the lone example uh or counter example of absolute power corrupts absolutely he might be yeah uh you know 
is... Then again, he doesn't have absolute power, does he? I mean, he's forced to negotiate with Negan's group. But that's... Um, does that feel like a fairly recent thing? Uh, I, I, mean, don't, he's been, I don't know. why. I uh, guess why would I, you say So, that? you know how I don't like conspiracy theories. Uh-huh. And this is essentially a government cover-up conspiracy theory. Oh, yeah. That requires that's... everybody from the newest appointed knight up to the most trusted stalwart Richard type to keep the secret of what they're doing from the larger community for uh-huh. reasons that Ezekiel expounded upon this episode. So, like, if this had been going on for over a year, it seems like this would have leaked out. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how you keep such a tight leash on the loyalty of your people. Right. And a secret like this. I don't think it's possible. Right. Especially when you've got to think on... That's the other thing is, like, how, to what extent has everyone bought into this King Ezekiel business? Like, sh- mm-hmm. there's got to be a lot of people like Morgan. It's like, this is crazy, but it's working, so whatever, you know? I'm going to... Right. The guy's got a tiger, and he's doing all right imagine, for the put, people. Put Carl in this situation. Bring Carl <laughs> into this community and see how much he buys Ezekiel. Or act. Rick. Sure, sure. You know? But, I'm mean, like, specifically, like, Enid or Carl, like, the teenagers sure. aren't going to go along with this bullshit. Oh, oh, you're King Ezekiel, huh? Whatever, man. I mean, even Carol, if Carol had was on both good feet, she would have yeah. probably been like, fuck this shit, someone give me a bottle rocket, I'm going to blow this whole thing up. <laughs> right. uh, <laughs> As it was, I really liked the reactions from Carol and Morgan. It was both pretty like, great. There, there's this moment where it's just like, look, I'm going to take you in here and you're going to see some shit. Yeah. And I don't know how to explain it, but <laughs> here <lot>. we go. <laughs> and then Carol sees it and she just cracks up. Like, she doesn't even know how to deal, how to process. Right. Uh, uh, it's so, good though. So should we get into the recap then? Sure. Okay. Um, so we missed this first part on our live watch last night. That's one of the premium features you get for sign- join up for a club bald move. We had a whole bunch of like we just moved to a new studio. If you uh, just just joining us since last year, and uh, we had some weird audio video setup issues that kind of made us a couple minutes late getting the the live watch going. Uh, but we missed some world class zombie kills. Uh, we see that, uh, Carol is, uh, on a wagon that's hitched up to, I'm going to call these guys knights, uh, that Morgan is marking their way back because he clearly fully doesn't trust these, uh, these people. Uh, there's a sudden Walker attack. Uh, we see a horse that's being eaten. Carol's hallucinating these zombies as real people as they're being killed. Um, she decides to take off and finds a gated house where she sees an old woman beckoning her inside, which turns out to be a zombie. Uh, a, a zombie gets her face chopped off with an axe, which was sweet. Yeah, that's easily zombie kill of the week. As as the, <laughs> as, the, as, the, as the knights of the kingdom ride in and save the day. And there's just a lot of fucked up and cool, like, partial beheadings, total beheadings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Morgan marks the, the mailbox and raises the flag of this uh, little little gated house, and we'll return to that by the end of the episode. Um, and then we see, uh, Carol wake up in recovery room with Morgan watching over her and, uh, (laughs) she's introduced to the massive operation that is the kingdom. It's got schools, it's got Mm -hmm. gardens, it's got a King Ezekiel, he's got a tiger. What'd you think of this introduction of the kingdom and, and the tiger and Ezekiel and Jerry? We need to talk about Jerry too. Sure. Uh, I, I actually thought. It was about as good of an introduction as you can do with a crazy guy with a tiger. Like I, 
it is absurd. On the face of it, it's absurd. And Carol's reaction is perfect. This is all absurd. Like, I don't know if I'm hallucinating here, but if I am, this is awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I know she's playing an act, too. Sure. She's, like, playing the sweet, innocent, motherly type, but... But it's Come a struggle. On. She's it, really it hard. she's really trying to hold this Real Housewives of Alexandria mode. Yeah, um, it, it's it's more of a struggle than she's ever had to to do before because she just wants to call bullshit from from the jump. Yeah, yeah. Which is is the tension here between you know keeping the audience invested and having the right. audience do the exact same thing. Right. And and I like when The Walking Dead. I mean, sometimes they swerve. Like, they've got the governor, and they decide to choke up on the bat a little bit and give you David Morrissey. Mm-hmm. And he's the governor, but not really. And then sometimes they just lean into it. Like, Michonne is a fucking ninja woman with dreadlocks and chained up zombies. Fucking deal with it. Yeah. Abraham is a G.I. Joe action figure with uh, a babe wearing skin-tight shorts and the biggest dork you've ever seen that that's going to save the world. Uh-huh. Uh, King Ezekiel has a fucking cat. Like, it's, it's, I, it's right out of the comic books, and I think it's awesome. And I feel like it's frustrating for me as a, as a comics first fan that they don't do that more often. Just trust that the material, like the people... Have gone along with the for with the ninja girl. They've gone along with the GI Joe action figure. Mm-hmm. They're go. They're, they are going to go. The, Negan is another prime example. They'll go with that fantastic stuff if you just just execute. Yeah, no, I, you're not wrong, and it, it's a little it's a little over the top. But I feel like a lot of the times that's what this show needs. It needs yeah. to try to stop grounding itself so much. This show cannot be middle of the road, lukewarm vanilla pudding. Right, it's got to have a strong and, and flavor, and it has such a such an odd theme, such yeah. a fantastical theme that it's probably not going to be the high drama you want either, right? Sure. I mean, that's not really what The Walking Dead is. That's always what I'm hoping that it'll get to, but sure. I know. And sure. in a while back, I just gave up on that, and now I'm enjoying the fucking tiger guy and yeah, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it gives me like I, I'm I'm looking for signs that this is going to crack, and they're mm-hmm. and they're going to mess up this kind of uh, Negan and Kingdom arc. Um, but so far, so good. I'm I'm slightly worried that they went with a singular focus POV. Right. I grant that right. it would be much harder to introduce this character and have the silly. You know, Jerry moments juxtaposed with Rick and, you know, uh, the rest of Maggie's genuine grief. Like, that would be a hard tone to balance. But going forward, I don't think that we can. I don't don't know how you feel, but I feel like The Walking Dead doesn't have the luxury to spend three three episodes in the kingdom and then get back to Alexandria and just keep juggling those. Yeah, I'm with you. And I'm a little worried about that, too, because of how many groups we have now. I mean, some of them are singular, right? Like Daryl. Sure. Well, Daryl's been taken, so Daryl's not getting uh, any screen time with anybody else, and they can't really do a bottle episode with him. Right. Um, they can so try. Yeah, I mean. it's, it's going to be Negan and Daryl. Right. Um, then they've got Maggie and Sasha sure. as a group. Then they've got Rick and his group. Now they've got Tara and Gabriel and Enid and the baby. Like, And then they've got the kingdom. There's so many groups, and if they want to spend time on all of them, they're going to have to do episodes where they're blended. You threw in Heath, you threw in Tara and Gabriel, but really Tara and Heath are still off. So there's yet another right, group, right? Like I was counting Alexandria you, together, you, but you're right. You <laughs> got to learn the master to ABC plot storytelling, or you're going to have more th- kind of the same frustrations that we've had in in, in seasons past. Yeah. So, uh, but I I do think you know for, for in as much as this was. 
an episode from a singular POV um, of these two characters, it it worked for me, and it, it was it was just so I don't know if this is coming back off a six month hiatus on The Walking mm-hmm. Dead, but it was just enough of the moralizing stuff for me not to get up get all uh, in a fuss about it. Right. It it felt like it it came to some concrete resolutions there. Yes. Um, these characters aren't so much struggling with where they stand anymore as opposed to like now this is who I am and how what do I especially do with Morgan this? himself and also the fact that he's kind of I think he's realized some of the mistakes he's made and the effects mm-hmm. that it's had and the, the right. negative effects and he's trying to roll that back into his equation and struggle like honestly if 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 I like consistent narrative storytelling it would be I, I think it would be a mistake to just completely pretend like the morgalizing and the carolizing never happened I know. Uh, Analysis, it's, it's paralysis by paralysis. Um, but yeah. but so, so I think they need to touch on it and show how these characters move on. And, and mm-hmm. I, I mean, essentially just learn from the mistakes they've already made. Like, you know, a little bit goes right. a long way. Have, have this thing springboard into a new uh, direction for the characters and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, uh, what do you think about the CGI for the tiger, Shiva? It was good. Like, it was real good. I, I was grading on a curve last night because, as as you know, when we're watching the live watch, it's it's not exactly a pristine HD feed, right? But when I got home and saw the high definition copy, it's it it it. I thought that the tiger held together really well. Yeah. So pretty pretty top notch tiger CG. Yeah, it seems like. So I know in the past we have given The Walking Dead, uh, specifically AMC as a production company, a lot of shit for cutting the budget on this show and right. trying to kind of shoestring this whole thing right i don't know that they're doing that anymore like the deeper we get into this show the more it feels like they're spending on actors on effects well on we'll, we'll see if we stuff. don't if we get a, a daryl bottle episode because <laughs> right we we've noted even last like these first two episodes have spared no budget that i can tell there's lots of zombies lots of practical right. effects lots of eyeballs popping out mm-hmm. lots of faces getting cut off lots of cgi tiger and there, there wasn't any cuts that felt glaring in the face of the plot Right. We'll, we'll see going forward whether we get a couple episodes where they spend zero dollars to kind of make it up. But right. yeah, I mean, it would be nice if they're like, hey, you know what? This show is making a ton of money. Maybe the audience is softening up a bit. We really need to start swinging for the fences if we don't want this to milk the cash and, cow and they dry. they can afford it. They I mean, they can, can afford, afford it. it. Between the marketing on this or the merchandising on this thing and the advertising they're selling yes. on the show itself. It's, yes. It's the biggest thing on TV. This don't show tell prints me you can't afford money this. for AMC. Right. And, so. and I think they're they're loosening the purse strings a little bit there. That would be nice. Yeah. That would be nice. Uh, what do you think of Jerry? He's, uh, so I like I I'm inclined to like him because he's on Halt and Catch Fire. Uh-huh. His yo-yo. Okay. Uh, this guy, Cooper Andrews. I... I don't know how I feel about him yet. He's, he's kind of a silly guy. Yeah, yeah. He's like chill it up, s when she, when Shiva's you know causing a bunch of ruckus. She he 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 gives a plate of Carol and introduces it as it's fruit time. Like he's yeah. I don't I I mean to me I. I he worked a lot better than like Eugene's character's introduction. Right. Like, we eventually warmed Eugene because he was so ridiculous, but this guy started off so ridiculous. And the fact that like it annoys Ezekiel yeah, somehow yeah. makes it okay. Like Ezekiel's like, damn it, Jerry. Damn it. Can't you throw. I get the feeling that this is the only thing thousand. Jerry was good for. Well, right. Like, 
Like, he had fucked up some other stuff just for being, either he was just too silly for the job or he didn't take his responsibilities seriously enough. But here's the thing. I'm pretty sure Jerry's the dude that lopped off that zombie's face with the axe. I think he's, like, a legit part of their war party, too. Oh, shit. Okay. And he says you're like a faith, you know, you're, um, I forget what he calls him, like a faithful (laughs) steward. But but I noticed in the second watch, like, oh, shit, I think Jerry's kind of a badass, too. Maybe that's why he gets to be silly. All right. I thought maybe Ezekiel wanted a short leash on him, but I maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but <laughs> he yeah. is silly. I, and also, uh, like and I, this guy has an interesting story. This actor too, because seriously, like, he he has worked his way over the past few years from boom operator holding a fucking boom onto the main screen for a lot of shows that you've probably seen and know. Hawaii Five O, Halt and Catch Fire, now Walking Dead. He's gotten into the serious acting game. He is moving it on up. Um, yep. Yeah, who is the who's the guy that plays King Ezekiel? Um, Carrie Pay- Payton. Carrie Payton, right? Okay, yeah. I, I was looking some info up about this, and um, one of my son's favorite shows is Teen Titans. This guy's the voice of Cyborg on Teen, Teen Titans. Okay. Who's very much a bombastic... Ah, kind of guy. Uh, didn't get a lot of that. Like, I actually was really surprised at how much kind of gravitas he had playing a fundamentally silly character who then kind of showed a lot of depth in his conversations with Carol. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so... We see a lot of, like, writing on the wall as, as I, I made a note of all of his sayings that i could okay. find i didn't get the choir one it's something about life should be lyrical but I, I i couldn't see the entire quote they didn't spin it around but there's the one uh drink from the well replenish the wells is seen prominently and then he spouts it himself right right before jerry announces it's fruit time and they do have a crazy fruit selection yeah like they're growing strawberries and apples and pomegranates why pomegranates it seems like well, so did you? You didn't get They're any. Ta- you didn't food. get any of these takes in the feedback, because it turns out like they looks like they were going for some, some some hidden meaning with these fruits. Like Carol picking the apple from the tree is very biblical. I don't think I need to explain right. this to a Judeo Christian audience. If not, just read like the first two chapters of the Bible. That's your homework assignment. Change your life. Uh, but the pomegranate has got a lot of symbology for the the fruit of the dead in Greek mythology. Okay. Like, um, that's how Hades seduced his wife and kept her in 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 the, his underworld. Uh, he uh, tricked her into eating six pomegranate seeds, uh, which kept her there six months out of the year. Which is how the Greek explained that, that you know, their their growing cycle. Mm-hmm. That when she would go down to the underworld, her mother, who controlled all the crops, would mourn, and then nothing would grow, and then she'd come back for six months to return by her mother's side, and then shit would grow again, and. Hmm. And there you go. But uh, th- now it's interesting because um, the Greeks called it the fruit of the dead, which is just kind of a funny thing that King Ezekiel would be growing that in the Walking Dead universe. <laughs> but, I mean, and I know that the that, that Greeks ne- didn't necessarily view Hades as a sinister figure, but the fact that if you if you see that him as offering this pomegranate to Carol to try to keep her, Mm-hmm. You know that does feel somewhat that that analogy does feel kind of sinister. Okay, but since most of the viewing audience is going to go completely over their head, I don't know. It could just be something they're doing for fun. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't. I guess I don't see how specifically like the apple stuff applies to Carol either. Like, I mean, that was 
Well, so like that Eve, was all about gaining Adam, knowledge. Adam and, and Eve, yeah, to eat the fruit of sinning against God. Like I, right? It could be that she's awakening to like because uh, because the. You start her in the beginning of the episode, she's hallucinating and she's getting like, you know, her themes from last season were the fact that she's tired of all this killing and right. she's even starting to be, I don't know, going going soft on, on zombies uh, or yeah. seeing the humanity in them. And then by the end of the episode, she clearly sees the old woman in the the house for what she is, like that maybe she ate of the truth and, and she's had a... Uh, a refinement to her life philosophy. She's woken up from the the, the damage the morgalizing did with to her. Or mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Okay. But I feel like they are trying to kind of suggest some of that stuff with the. And again, this is all this is all subsurface stuff that you don't even have to fully appreciate. She could just be stealing fruit like in a you know a Huckleberry Finn type caper. She's going to tie <laughs> right. it up in a little hobo sack and mm-hmm. then bomb down the road. Uh, so anyway, that's the introduction of Ezekiel. Uh, he, he says something that I had never heard before. He, when he's talking to Jerry, he says, "Your words leave me pitch kettled." Yeah. Did, I, did you know what that? I was? I looked it up, and as far as I could see, is a pitch kettle is a kettle that carries pitch, which uh-huh. is this boiling hot tar substance that they'd use to like waterproof ships and whatnot. I don't know with the if that's a a phrase that I'm not familiar with. So you, I, I think it is. Like I, I looked up the, the term pitch kettled as like uh-huh. a single word, and I guess it's a thing that the English say or have said in the past, <laughs> uh, which essentially means that someone is utterly puzzled, confused, or nonplussed. Huh. So, so is entomology like you stepped in a, a, a kettle of pitch and it stuck to you, and you're like, oh, shit, now what? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I've been pitch kettled? I, I wish I knew. Hmm. All right. Well, That's you got further, further than I did. Yeah. Uh, so Carol gets out from the audience barely with her suspension of disbelief intact, and she says, "You're shitting me." <laughs> and Morgan tries to make a defense. She goes, "No, shut up. This is make believe. It's playtime. I can't stay here." He says, "I can't let you go." She says, "It's not up to you." He says, "I don't have the secret of life, and I know what I've started, but I won't let you die out there." And it's threatening to turn into a meatloaf duet. And Carol just says, "Yeah, try to stop me." And spoiler alert, he's a bad at stopping her. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. Like I, to me, I was starting to side eye the episode a bit. Like, oh boy, mm-hmm. if the whole episode is going to be dueling points of view like this, I don't know if I can if I can take it. But this is pretty much uh, one of the two major speeches about this, and I, I find it tolerable. Okay. Uh, so then Morgan accompanies the Kingdom Knights on what we are going to come to understand is a pig run where they, um, they, they essentially herd pigs into these, uh, abandoned buildings where they've staged walkers because it turns out pigs love walkers. A walker ain't nothing but a mobile trough to a pig. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and I would like to see like... Do the walkers try to bite the pigs, and the pigs just with brute force win? Like, pigs like, yeah, I don't give a shit if you're going to bite me. I want to bite you. We'll see who gets eaten faster, motherfucker. Because like, it looks like that they just right. the zombies have no no response to the pig threat. Like, granted, one of the zombies was, was tied up, and he couldn't do much about it. But the other zombie, like, it looked like he just got knocked the fuck down, and pigs were feeding on him, and he's still alive. Yeah. Couldn't do nothing to stop it. No, I, I guess, you know, they got 500-pound animals uh, sticking their snouts all over sure. you. I doubt there's much you can't do. 
I mean, I, I just, I, are we going to see a scene where Negan and like the governor uh, backs up like a couple truckloads of zombies onto the battlefield, and the Kingdomites backload a couple of livestock trucks full of pigs, <laughs> and it's like something out of Braveheart, just just <laughs> this vanguard of pigs, yeah, yeah, being driven towards the zombie horde. Uh, maybe I would maybe like to so. see that. I haven't seen any sign of pigs in the actual kingdom, though. Mm. It seems like all their pigs. They just do an occasional roundup. Yeah. So. But we know that, like, so so uh, this guy who will come to appreciate his his name is Richard, and he seems like he's one of the the Lancelots of the the Round Table or the Circle Theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is deliberately filling half of the pigs' bellies full of Walker meat, mm-hmm. and then sh- they're shipping them off to somewhere else, which we'll come to appreciate is actually the Saviors, right? Uh, but half of the pig allotment also goes back to Alex or not Alexander, excuse me, the Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, 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 as this plot kind of un, unfurls, uh, the king orders Ben to dispatch a walker because they note that in the city, the walkers are everywhere and you make a slight sound and they, they come, uh, Ben's a big fuck up. He can't, uh, he goes to swing a machete at a walker at its head. He, he cleaves its shoulder. It doesn't even really cleave it. He just kind of gets it stuck there. Yeah. Um, later on, uh, a walker ambushes him. He gets his fucking machete stuck in its scabbard. And Morgan has to broomstick the zombie to death. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, Richard also instructs Morgan that no one needs to know about anything that happened here today, which is kind of almost mysterious to the point of, like, I wanted Morgan to ask follow-ups. Like, what the hell? Why? What's going on? Right. Why did you bring me? I'm a stranger. You've known me for, le- like, two days, and half of that I've spent by Carol's side. Like, Yeah, the revealing of secrets that happens during this episode. Yeah. I don't buy that they're secrets at all. I just, I at this point I can't buy it. Like if all the, you tell your secrets to every new person you meet, those right. people aren't invested. They'll tell other. I mean, people. Morgan's not even wearing armor. He hasn't even been accepted to the round table yet. Like right. and you're letting him in. Like that seems very like they're hoping that we don't notice as viewers that this is some some very yeah. foreshortened storytelling here. Because it's one step removed from the idea that he just tells everyone. Like. Are we to believe that they're that they're somehow special? That Carol and Morgan are special people, and that he decided to reveal this ultimate secret to them? I mean, they're as opposed kind to of, everyone he meets. I think they're doing some uh, this character work where uh, Morgan and Ezekiel have a conversation later on where to, to understand is like the, just the last of many. Where they're talking about Morgan's philosophy and that maybe King Ezekiel's taking a chance on Morgan because. You know, he's got a bunch of hot-headed knights that might explode at any time, and he wants Morgan there as a calming influence. Like, sure, I don't yeah. know. And and I'm not um, – I, I, so where do you come down on it? Do you think that they need we need to see those conversations, or do you think that they've hinted enough that they've had them that you were able to go along with it? Yeah, I. it's fine. I mean, having a conversation and saying, like, I, I think you could be useful to the group is is one thing. Trusting someone with the secrets that could unravel your entire – uh, the the whole thing you've set up here right to two perfect strangers and especially carol i mean yeah. especially carol because uh, as much as like morgan has this philosophy we, he doesn't know what carol's philosophy is he hasn't right. talked to her do you think that king ezekiel secretly wants people to find out about his plan because that's it because he talks a lot he about the about burdens, burdens of secrets yeah. and he can't do it, and he doesn't want any of his trusted knights to betray him. But bringing Morgan is a way to like essentially flip a coin. 
Like if this guy sees the wisdom in my plan and keeping it secret, then that kind of validates it. And if he doesn't, then maybe I shouldn't have been holding this for myself in any way. So he's like putting his own skills to the test. Like Kinda. how well can I read these people? Right. Am I entrusting the correct people with these secrets? And if not, oh well. Because a guy as self-aware as he is, as, as he's painted in this episode, you'd think he'd have some bit of doubt. Like every time he gets right. dressed up in his King Ezekiel garb. And like he gives this benediction to the zombies where like, <laughs> you know, right. we might free you from the bondage of zombitude eventually. But until mm-hmm. then, know that we are full, faithful, festive, free. And, and- alliterative as fuck. <laughs> Literative as fuck. Um, I surely he's got some moments of self doubt when he works himself because he was just a zookeeper. He's got to, yeah. So and he's able to put on his community theater hat, right? uh, In the moments where he needs to. I thought I thought it was a nice touch. I don't know, but it feels like they've arranged his dreads so that when you uh, the light hits them, and not even a particular way, because I noticed this throughout the episode, but it looks like he's got cat ears. Yeah, yeah. The way he's got the two dreads kind of tucked up and over, like mm-hmm. it looks like he's wearing a cat costume a bit, okay. which I think is intentional because mm-hmm. I don't think he, you know, I, I, I don't know, whatever. I just thought it was cute. Uh, so Ezekiel takes Morgan aside when they return to the kingdom and asks him to teach Ben the way of the staff. Yeah, what the hell? Uh, Why has Ben so important? Well, we've, we'll find out later. And I've got some, I got some. We find out? No, oh, not shit. exactly, but Did there's definitely okay. some hints that you may have missed. Okay. Um, we have another uh, Ezekiel-ism. Pessimists look down and bump their head. Optimists look up and lose their footing, but the realist looks forward and adjusts his path accordingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he draws, uh, he, he says that Morgan's a realist, and I kind of agree with that. And now that we've seen, like, he's... He's not clinging to his Morgan ways, mm-hmm. uh, and if he did, Carol would have died. Yeah, he's so, no longer. I mean, he's been on. He's oscillated between both extremes, right? I mean, I would call him a pessimist when he, he was in his clear cl- phase. Sure, yep. uh, I would call him an optimist when he was in his all life is precious phase. Right now, he's returning to the norm, to the mean here, uh, which I think makes him a stronger character. Right. Um, but he explains that Benjamin will be an important member of his court and that he needs him to live. So, official prediction, Benjamin going to die this season, right? There's no <laughs> way this main character says it's super important for this guy right. to live and he makes it out of this season of Walking Dead. There's no way. Yeah, you're probably right. That's a way to test King Ezekiel and see what he's made out of, I think. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure Benjamin is made up for the show. Uh, so like that's not me having comic book knowledge. I haven't read this plot for three or four years, so I'm fuzzy on it anyway. But I'm just saying, I feel like when he said that, giant target painted on 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 unfortunate Benjamin's back. Plus he's a yeah. he's a fucking idiot. Sure, he's he seems pretty useless. So uh, although he knows he can repair a mean HVAC system. <laughs> maybe maybe he goes right. maybe he'd go to take a wrench to it and just break it even worse yeah uh so the next scene we have the choir singing uh bob dylan's don't think twice it's all right uh i think the scene works despite the choir i did not enjoy the choir i thought the choir mm-hmm. was distracting and and kind of cringy okay. um but on the other hand i thought the file cabinet planters were super cool Those are cool yeah um i thought with his garden carol wheeling around swiping supplies was super entertaining like she takes a <laughs> the knife, knife and then, then a beat later she grabs a chocolate yep <laughs> love it that's perfect i just don't eat her cookies don't do it 
No. Um, her going crazy, fake crazy over the breakfast cobbler and then getting all teary at the idea of a lunch cobbler <laughs> just to steal a pair of jeans from this idiot was How much cobbler great. do these people eat? Cobbler at every meal? Every single meal? Yeah. I don't need that like, much even cobbler. Even if you could make cobbler every we- meal, like maybe <laughs> choke up on that a bit because then you make it more special. Right. Make a pie instead of a cobbler. Like, yeah. make a bread pudding or something. Like, Yeah, parfaits, man. Right. <laughs> cobbler at every meal. I get sick of it real fast. Yeah, especially since you know they don't have ice cream to go with it. Oh, yeah. Um, ben wants to read Morgan's philosophy book because he's read everything in this uh, here kingdom twice, even the HVAC um, book, as you mentioned. Um, I mean, they're just trying to kind of show that he is more of an intellectual than a fighter. Mm-hmm. So I got that message. Message received. Right. Um, Ezekiel then brings Morgan deeper into his pig secrets. Uh, he explains <laughs> <laughs> the chronicles of the pigs. Uh, uh-huh. He explains that these are the saviors collecting their due. He doesn't explain it. We see the saviors show up and Morgan bristles. He knows who these fuckers are. Right. Uh, they count their eight fat pigs. Uh, they have an anti-Jesus uh, who is needlessly antagonistic, an antichrist, if you would, mm-hmm. uh, who attacks Richard, who's the stalwart um, first-in-command knight dude, uh, and he gets his ass handed to him. Richard just takes this guy apart yeah, effortlessly. Uh, Ezekiel commands him to stop in the name of the king. Anti-Jesus takes a few free shots before the Negan representative de jour calls him off. He flips Richard off, and they're sternly reminded they need to produce, or Richard's going to be the first to go. Uh, pretty standard savior recruitment uh, enforcement tactics, wouldn't you say? So, uh, plus these fucking guys. Like every season, oh, The Walking Dead trots out some straw man for me to hate. Last year, right. Dickless. This year, it's Antichrist. Yeah. Uh, this guy. What's this guy's real name? I, it's, he's anti. Show. He's AC, and he fucking needs to go. He needs to go. He needs to go and go mm-hmm. gloriously. And I, and I want by by Richard's hands, if there's any justice in the world, which this is The Walking Dead. Of course, there's not. Yeah. Uh. I, so. I I'm I was a bit confused by the free shots idea. Like, okay, I get it. Don't give the guy a wedgie and make him eat his own boogers or something. But right. you can dodge the punches, man. I think Dodge the punches and shoulder check this fool because he's... Yeah, I felt like they felt... I felt like they felt they made this more plain than it is. What I think happened was that you're supposed to understand that Ezekiel's order to... That we don't react this way is so strong and his man respects him so much that he was going to sit there and take take the shot and do nothing to stop it. And also it's a way for Richard to be like, fuck you to the antichrist guy but i feel like right. they needed to have ezekiel be more stronger about don't raise a hand to these people on by you know and do some some king ezekiel wordy shit yeah there was some very small disconnect for me there yeah like i agree okay it's more like why what is the cause and effect and like for example because because what i guess the situation played out but the savior saying oh free shots are like where why did you think that that was going to work yeah like I needed something from from King Ezekiel to build that lineup. Maybe he got lost in the editing, but yeah, I, I get that. That's weird. Uh, the saviors take off, and Morgan says, "Is is is that why you wanted me here? Because he knows that that Morgan has killed saviors before. Because I could do it again if I had to." And King mm-hmm. Ezekiel enigmatically responds, 
No, quite the opposite. And if I were Morgan, I'd say, wait, because I couldn't do it again if I didn't have to? What the <laughs> fuck does that mean? I think it means he wouldn't do it unless he had to in so, this context. But you're right. I, it is he needed, it's not exactly the opposite. He, he needed this cooler head yeah. because if, if everybody was uh, Richards and Ben's, they'd be screwed because Richard would all attack right. and Ben couldn't back it up. And then uh, lots of people die. Uh, yeah, there's also, so I, I like what they're doing here with this, you know, I don't know how I feel about it being a secret from his people, but this idea that they're taking these hogs out and slaughtering them outside the city and giving them to Negan's men outside the city, yeah. uh, that has the added benefit of hiding their true pros- prosperity from Negan, which I think is part of what they're doing. Hmm. I, they seem very prosperous for a sure. town that is forced to give 50% of its... Uh, harvest or right if they, if they showed up to, to the gates of the city so they're using this as an excuse right like oh well they want eight pigs they don't know we have 178 pigs but in our so thing i like that theory but here's the thing i don't and we haven't talked about it yet is when they they drove the pigs into the thing yeah that's kind of the day of the collection is the way i understood it and richard right. looks at king ezekiel and said this is just what we needed yeah like implying that maybe they went right to the deadline before they found these pigs that could placate the saviors and there is kind of like a last ditch thing maybe the pigs are running thin i don't know but there's right. something about the cobbler every day cobbler three times a day a plenty versus that statement he made to king ezekiel that i think hmm. it's supposed to be a mystery that we're supposed to kind of like huh and file away for later but there's something more to it okay so maybe they're not as prosperous as they seem or maybe, I don't know, the strain of keeping the secret from the people and keeping it a secret from the saviors is like, you know, like like they don't want to give the, like, okay, well, we're, we're a pig short, so let's give them a bushel store of pomegranates. Oh, shit, then the saviors know we have pomegranates. And then right. how long has it been since they showed up to the kingdom to actually look around and be like, oh, shit, you guys got tomatoes and stuff and cobbler? Right. We, we want, want some of those, too. Yeah, yeah, cobbler three times a day. We want uh, two-thirds of those cobblers. Pomegranate cobbler. Pomegranate cobbler. Ugh, that know. has to be the most time-consuming cobbler in the yeah. world. Because, like, that's the thing. Like, I like pomegranates, but fuck pomegranates. Yeah. They are by far the re- reward versus effort to get their goodness out. It's like they, yep. until nature evolves a combination lock for fruit, pomegranates will reign supreme. I just don't. Someone else wants to do it. I'll happily eat a whole bowl full of seeds. But until then, <laughs> no. Uh, so Ben has a little brother, I think, is what we're supposed to understand from this next scene, where yeah. he's making him clean his plate so he can go to movie night. Dutch? Is his name actually Dutch, or is he calling that as a nickname? It beats the shit out of me, man. Okay. My grandfather's nickname was Butch, and I don't know why. No All right. I asked my one of my uh, my great uncles once, is like, because he looked like a butcher's boy. I'm like, what the fuck does a butcher's boy look like? Yeah. Was that like a comic book superhero, the butcher boy? I don't know. I- I don't know. So was he chubby? I get, my grandfather was rail thin as far as his whole life, as far as I could tell. Like hmm. I don't know. I don't get it. So he's Dutch. Um, maybe he looked like a young Arnold Schwarzenegger or in a Predator movie. Was it Ronald Reagan who had the nickname Dutch? Is he Dutch? I think you're right. He was. I think so. Yeah. The kid looks like Reagan. Yeah. Uh, there's also another King Ezekielism on the back wall. The dead are alive, lest not the alive be dead the fuck does that mean i think it means that like we should be full faithful festive (laughs) and fucking all the time because you could be dead on the outside and that'd be 
uh, not not a good thing. Uh, we find out that King Ezekiel is very close to Ben's father, who was a good fighter. A year ago, he got killed with eight others clearing out a building, and Ezekiel has been gun-shy about his people's lives ever since, and which explains why he's had this pacifist and appeasement uh, policy towards the saviors. He doesn't want to rock that boat and get the people all riled up. Um, he also observes that uh, Morgan is a vegetarian and has a prescription against killing in his, his little philosophy book. And Morgan's like, whoa, 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 I don't want to start a whole season of this shit with you, so find <laughs> your own path, kid. Right. I'm just fumbling through. So congratulations, Morgan. You can be taught. Um, I couldn't help but notice how much this Ben guy looks like Joey from the Hackers movie. <laughs> you like, couldn't get he, over uh, that last night. Oh, my God. He looks so much <laughs> like him. And it's not him, obviously. He'd be right. 25 years older. But, pff, yeah. Uh, does that guy have a younger brother? I don't know. His name Maybe it's Jesse a son. Bradford it's 25 years. It could be uh, some, might some be. hacker spawn. Oh, man. They're breeding now. Watch out. Uh, the one thing I want to... There's a hot theory I saw on Reddit that maybe this guy's knowing what we know about Negan and how he did, you know, he took off Rick's arguably his best fighter um, hostage and took him off to join the savior squad. Is it possible that Benjamin's father actually is a savior now and that the reason King Ezekiel is so intent on making Ben a part of his court and that he survives is because, I mean, the plain reading is he just wants to honor his father's sacrifice and make sure his son lives a full and happy life. Mm -hmm. But also there could be this almost King Arthurian aspect where he's trying to make up for the fact that his father fell to the dark side, quote-unquote, uh, by making him a part of his 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 kingdom, the inner circle of his kingdom. Could be. Yeah, and, I don't know why he's so important. Um, I mean, those are all plausible, I suppose. And I wonder if there's like a whole bunch of other guys, like badasses under duress within Negan's compound, uh, if, if they're going to somehow be some kind of nucleus of rebellion. Like, you know, Daryl's going to go in there preaching that, and then the, you know, you'll find out that Benjamin's... Uh, dad is on the inside and like he's still got misgivings about it I I mean I don't know that it's could int- be that's interesting because yeah. they, they certainly look like they're going to be exploring in the weeks to come Daryl and like this battle for his soul and Negan's going to try to co-opt him and break him and like yeah um, I don't know but I thought that was kind of interesting no okay. real evidence for it but um, I, I thought it was intriguing. So I and I guess Morgan is just a vegetarian now like yeah I don't know if he was before this with his all life is sacred stuff, but clearly not. How a does that work in the zombie apocalypse? Uh, you know, vegan because he's he's all about the cheese and the right, right. Just vegetarian. He's not. He's what do you not mean? How does that board. work? I mean, it's not exactly like you can pick and choose your food sure. here in the zombie apocalypse. Now, I imagine you could probably survive, but to thrive as a vegetarian if in, you're the zombie in the zombie apocalypse, like, and you got like you know bitter er, bitter greens and. A possum, as Carol put it, you got to eat a possum, right? You I, can't just survive you need on protein. Yeah, and and sure, say what you want about a modern vegetarian and even vegan diet, you sure. can get enough protein, but you have to be very picky about what you eat, right? That's I don't know. Just if not fresh legumes here. are just on the offing in yeah. the apocalypse. I don't know. I don't know. That could be my unrepentant carnivore propaganda, but I I kind of agree with you that I I mean I guess if you 
If and you, and if I don't you want, care. If I mean, in the kingdom where there's enough cobbler and fruit to go around, right. then knock yourself out. Yeah. But, um, I, yeah, I don't know. And it might be a recent development. It might just be because now he's got a bounty before him, and right. he can be picky. And he just killed that savior. He's not sure how he feels about it, so he's trying to hedge his bets by not eat, killing cows or pigs. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, he's just a big fan of uh, uh, Babe. <laughs> And, uh, you know, can't bring himself to eat pigs. It was the only VHS tape they had in that house (laughs) with his son. It was his favorite movie. And and Babe 2, Pig in the City. Well, yeah. That'll change change your eating habits. Roger Ebert's favorite movie, apparently. It's a good movie, Jim. It's good. You should quit prejudging kids' movies. See one every once in a while. Uh, So Morgan goes to check up on Carol, and she's gone, and he smiles the smile of Ben Affleck when he went to go pick up Goodwill Hunting, and he wasn't there. Ah, which yeah, yeah. is weird based on their previous conversation where he's like, I'm not going to let you leave. I'm not going to let you die. He's like, oh, you finally left. Oh, don't have to worry about that anymore. Not I, like I was super worried about it. I thought it was like more like, yep, she outsmarted me just like mm. she said she was going to. Mm. Okay. Like Carol, she's wily. Uh, but, spe- but what? Maybe this is my walking dead brain kicking in and my disbelief <laughs> and misunderstanding of the fundamental day and night cycle in this world, but... What time would you say it is when he finds Carol's gone? Uh, middle of the afternoon. At the latest, At the right? latest. What time would you say it is when they find her picking fruit in the yard? Pitch fucking dark. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was my imagination, but I don't think they're, they're playing us straight with the timeline Zika here. said, uh, the day-night cycle has got me pitch-kettled. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I, I, I mean, the... I don't. I don't know why they do this because they wanted obviously Ezekiel to dramatically light the brazier and confront her. And right. That's all cool, but like maybe have uh, some some long shadows going along the wall when when uh, yeah Morgan comes home. Yeah, I don't understand. I mean, because it's also they're having dinner. Okay, I think I think the lighting is just they just don't give a shit about the light because you're supposed. Okay. To, I mean, dinner is not three o'clock in the afternoon. Right, it's probably late in the day. They're talking about mm-hmm. oh, we're about to go see a movie, so maybe it's a lot later than we're giving it credit for. But damn, yeah. they didn't shoot it that way. Maybe it's six, and you know, Carol's out there at seven. I, yeah, and the I, sun has gone down, but it sure. doesn't look like it. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Um, so Carol's in the Garden of the Kingdom. She's stealing apples mm-hmm. as the uh, Eve figure that she is. Ezekiel finds her and orders Jerry to leave us, who informs them they'll be in hollering range, and then chucks deuces. Uh, Ezekiel says you should never bullshit a bullshitter, and then he explains his philosophy that he was a zookeeper and he happened upon uh, the, he happened to exploit this animal's relation pre-existing relationship. And then he healed her, and which made them bros for life, or whatever the female tiger yeah. equivalent of that, huntresses for life. Okay, and yeah, I think it's a life debt. Uh, I, I didn't know cats had that. But you're right. You made a lot of a <laughs> lot of choice Chewbacca jokes. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, she's gonna forever pilot the Millennium Falcon by his side. <laughs> um, uh, but but uh, you know, people see a dude leading a tiger around by a chain and make some assumptions about him. And there's some tall tales, some Paul Bunyaning uh, is happening, and he embraced that because he found that it kept people safe, which kept them productive and happy. And this cat is the smartest cat that's ever existed because not only does it understand the concept of a life debt, sure, but he makes the point like if this thing. This thing could rip my arm off. This thing could rip the chain right out of my hand and go rampaging. Sure. Why hasn't it done that to the townspeople? Like, 
There's they don't the cat must understand the concept of a societal structure as well. I mean, so I feel like that rule number one is you keep the tiger fed. It eats as much as ten men, and you, you you keep the tiger fed. Rule number two is maybe it, he meant it eats up to ten men <laughs> a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's a, they, they did seem to have no shortage of people. Um, it's true. I, I don't know. Like, I guess if it ever did get loose, it would fuck shit up in that town. Or, or if, or if they they ran low on pigs, like this could be like just what they need, not just to keep Negan. They're more worried about the tiger. <laughs> it might be like Negan's a couple miles away. His his uh, retribution is theoretical. This tiger gets wakes up with a hungry belly, and it's going to be a horror show. Yep. You think the dead's bad? That's why he keeps Jerry around. He's a big guy. There you go. Satiate the tiger's rations. I want you staying close to me, Jerry, because you're my trusted advisor, (laughs) even though you fuck up my Macbeth shit all the time. Right. I think you cracked a coach. (laughs) He's he's emerging in case of starvation. Break, Jerry. (laughs) Um, He talks about he used to act in community theater as uh, his side job as a zookeeper and that he pulled on leadership roles such as King Arthur and Macbeth and Martin Luther. Uh, which Does he talk about the real Martin Luther or Martin Luther King Jr.? I assume the latter in the live watch, but he usually when people talk about MLK, they say Martin Luther King, usually with the, the junior. junior yeah. When he says Martin Luther, yeah, I mean, I guess I know why that wouldn't fly. No one's going to listen to some dude in a hair shirt. But, uh, <laughs> okay. you know, nailing, I... nailing biblical proclamations on the doors. But because hmm. uh, my thought last night is like, so you got Martin Luther King, Arthur, and Macbeth. As as role models for leaders that you could portray to people, and you choose King Arthur, really, <laughs> right? Really, uh, okay. Out there. Um, and he says, "But my name is Ezekiel. That's the one thing about it that's that's legit." And I thought Carol, like I was ready for Carol to be like, "Oh, okay," but she's like, "I don't care. Yeah, you do what you want. This is Looney Tunes. I'm out," which I thought was pretty awesome. I did too. Uh, but I tell you what, by the end of Ezekiel, because he doesn't stop there. He goes, look, all this, this, I, I want you to impress upon you that life doesn't have to be bad. There's still hope, heroism, grace, and love. And yes, maybe I deal with the bad by going overboard with the good. Mm-hmm. But embrace the contradiction. Yeah. And she says, why are you doing this? Because doing, you know, it makes me feel good. Um, and he also says, maybe you can go, but not go, which is kind of crazy, but I think he's hinting at letting her settle in the outskirts of town. That seems like what's what's happening here Mm -hmm. because that's how we round out the episode. Morgan rides out with Carol to the Finston graveyard house. We saw in the beginning, they make up because she regrets all the time. She tried to kill and stab him. And he, he says that you're my favorite person or at least top five or top three of people I've knocked out. Uh, again, Carol seeing the eyes, a uh, world of clear eyes by killing the walker and burying her, having herself a fire. But then there's a knock at the door and fucking Hades shows up with the pomegranate wanting to capture Persephone again. And, uh, she's actually warming up to him. She smiles to end the episode. Yeah. Whether she eats the six seeds and we plunge the world into six months of winter. Uh, during the production week, is, 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 can you believe The Walking Dead ended with another cliffhanger? Is she going to eat the pomegranate or not? No, she's going to smack that pomegranate out what, of his What's hand. the hashtag they were circling on Talking Dead? Move two more blocks down the street. Hashtag will she eat it. <laughs> right. <laughs> hashtag, I don't know. <laughs> hashtag <laughs> pomegranates, really? Um, hashtag too many secrets. Like Hashtag cobbler gobbler. <laughs> 
<laughs> Jerry. Jerry's the cobbler gobbler. Uh, uh, so there are a couple of different secrets that he's keeping here, mm-hmm. um, one of which he lets Morgan in on, the other of which he lets Carol in on. Sure. Uh, because Morgan doesn't know that he is more than, you know, the self, a little more, more mundane and sure. self-aware than the king. Because Morgan's Ezekiel. clearly kind of walking on eggshells around his sanity. Right. And cool. Carol doesn't know about their their savior stuff. So sure. um, I, I don't know how that's going to play out. Now, Carol is gone for now. She's out of the picture. So he doesn't have to worry about, you know, pretending to be this king in front of her to all right. his other subjects. Right. Um, but that might come back eventually if Carol ever gets reunited with this group. Uh, and I guess Morgan and Carol are not going to talk about these secrets to each other or with each other. So maybe that's, maybe his secrets are safe. I, I don't, don't know. That's, that's, a big, that's a big if, if, if they don't talk to each other, because it seems yeah. like this going and not going strategy is going to bring them into fairly close contact right. on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, I guess the question I have is, does Ezekiel have eyes for Carol? Because the one thing about the speech I left off mm-hmm. was about the many times he mentioned about love and how the that life finds a way, essentially. And and he did seem to take a kind of shine to her. At yeah. least that's what I detected. Yeah, it seemed like it. Okay. Uh, I think... Ezekiel, even though he's got the crazy right. King Arthur affect, big upgrade over Carhartt man from last up. Uh, uh, oh last, yeah, last season. Yeah, I don't even remember his name. No, uh, uh-uh. that's how important. That's like he falling was. in love with a can of spam. Yeah, and now you got cobbler three times a day. <laughs> I, I I I like I like King Ezekiel. I like him a lot. I do too. You know, I I felt like that final scene between him and Carol. Not, I guess not the final scene. The penultimate scene there. Um, where he kind of tells her how he got his start here in the kingdom um, and how all this came to be was a really important moment for that character because without that, he is just a caricature. Right. Uh, at this point, he feels like a human being who is just leaning into the things that people think about him, Right. the perception that people have of him. So when when he's making his decisions from now on, I and I hope they understand this, they need to they need to draw a distinction between what he actually thinks mm-hmm. and what he does as this character he's created. Right. Like I, I as an audience member want to see more of that. Like the real man talking about why the character is making the decisions that he's making. Right. Right. The other thing is, and why I'm inclined to give him a bit of slack is how many seasons have we been saying that everyone should be wearing some form of body armor? Yeah. And like, if it's the crazy guy that finally makes that stick for some bullshit aesthetic reason, mm-hmm. that's that's a plus on my like. These guys, a zombie sneaks up and bites them on the shoulder, not a big deal because they're wearing right. shoulder pads. It happens to Sasha because she's got her fucking tank top on. It's a death sentence. Yeah, like I'm so glad to see some post-apocalyptic armor wearing. Uh, the fact that it's like some kind of post-apocalyptic knighthood makes it even better. In, in my in my view. Uh, that's all I got for the episode. Uh, I got some more thoughts for the spoiler section, but uh, I think it's time to turn it over to feedback. Hey, it's time to tell you how you can support Bald Move. It's easy. Go to club.baldmove.com, and for a low price, you can sign up and get a bunch of 
premium features, for example, ad-free feeds. Uh, something you might be interested in is our first-run bald movies, where we try to take in a movie on Thursday night that's going to be released this Friday. Uh, this week, we're going to take in the premiere of uh, Marvel's new comic book masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor promising. Doctor Strange. Uh, and uh, so we have a free, um, spoiler-free review where we talk about the movie in general terms and what we thought about it and some of the trailers that we're excited about. And then for club members only, we have the uh, no-holds-barred spoiler take where we get into the nitty-gritty. Traditionally, the comic book movies have been some of the more lively of those discussions. So... Uh, if you're interested in, in the latest uh, the movies, especially the Marvel franchise, you might want to check out the club. Uh, but there's also VIP sections of the forums, um, other uh, premium content and video content that we do. Uh, go to club.ballmove.com to get the full pitch. Uh, but, yeah, we cannot do it without your uh, support. We cannot do the amount of podcasting and the the depth of the analysis uh, and the, the, the frequency that we post without being able to do this full time. And we can't do that without your support of the club. So once again, club.baldmove.com. All right, we'll start off with Mary Kay, who uh, I, I just wanted to do a little bit of feedback from the last episode. I cut the majority of it because I'm frankly tired of talking about who is hashtag who gets their head knocked in. Uh, hashtag head gobbler. Hashtag Glenn debacle. Like, I don't <laughs> want to talk about any of that anymore. So I, I made vicious cuts. But Mary Kay starts off with, you've talked about the dumpster fire near death of Glenn as a dramatic misstep in advance of his eventual head-beating comic book death. But I've been thinking about Glenn's story arc, and I think the dumpster near miss actually punctuates his final demise. This was a fairly nuanced take that I have not yet heard. So okay. I permitted it. Uh, you, she cont- you allow it. She continues, Glenn didn't survive the zombie apocalypse by being professionally trained like Rick or Abraham or being a kick-ass like Daryl or Michonne. Glenn survived by being clever. He was quick, observant, and resourceful. The go-to guy for provision runs who always got out of a scrape. After the dumpster scene left us hanging, I thought Glenn would, of course, survive by hiding under the pile of zombies because Glenn always figured a way out of peril. That isn't to ignore his evolution as a fighter and leader, but Glenn's wits and bravery were his defining characteristics. So the fact that his death was completely random is the exact opposite of that, something no amount of cleverness could avoid, and the worst of tragic ironies. Glenn managed to outfox a zombie pileup that would have killed any other character, but he couldn't outmaneuver a senseless bat to the head. I think it reemphasized Glenn's nature in contrast with the ultimate outcome. What do you think about that take? This idea that because Glenn is who he was, that his death is some truly poignant sense of... It uh, gives you a sense of irony there. Yeah, I I don't know. Um because like I've had experience, uh, in my favorite book series, the Patrick o- O'Brien. There was uh, in the Latin, the twentieth book that that uh, Patrick O'Brien wrote before he died. Uh, one of the beloved characters dies in a very random kind of like hail of gunfire incident, and is is passed without without much remarking. And there's there's two arguments amongst the fandom. Number one, that's like mind blowing and realistic because that's how it actually would happen. But then there's also people that are like, yeah, but we're also reading a fantasy. Right, and when you kill a beloved character, you gotta give him a couple paragraphs of a you know eulogy, mm-hmm. or someone you know like some some of the main characters should stop and be like, hell shit, this guy since book one has been by our sides, and now he's dead. That's a bummer, right? Um, so I don't know where I stand on the fact that you show this guy who just conquers everything with his his wits and bravery, uh, you know, 
and and then he dies from some kind of random chance, like a game of eeny, meeny, miny, mo, or or not even eeny, just as a, as a swift retribution for Daryl st- stepping out of line. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know if that makes it better or worse. Okay. I mean, I, the quintessential one I think of, uh, when I think of kind of out of the blue deaths is, uh, was Deep Blue Sea? Oh, yeah. Sam Jackson. Sure. Just, you know, just getting chomped. Giving a Sam Jackson speech, rallying the troops, and then nope. Right. Tiger sharked. Pretty pretty ironic there. But I, yeah, I I don't know. I'm not sure I that I completely buy that and that it makes all of that okay. I will say that there's no way in hell the writing room was intending all that. Right. Like, if, 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 if someone had some kind of persuasive evidence that they intended to set all this up as some kind of existential point about the world, then I guess I would begrudgingly allow it. But some of this stuff feels a bit like after-the-fact rationalization, which is fine. But I, like right. I said, I don't, I don't know if it makes me feel differently about it. Okay. Uh, Matt from ABQ says, wanted to clear up something I caught on my rewatch. The fog that we were talking about last episode mm-hmm. that was ultra foggy was actually smoke. So Negan drove Rick back to the spot where they blocked the road with logs and hung the guy who was, quote-unquote, someone with a whole lot of someones who didn't listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the season finale of... Uh, or in the finale of season six, the saviors lit the roadblock on fire after hanging the guy. Anyways, what I assumed was fog was actually all the... Uh, hanging smoke from the massive log fire that was burning all night. Negan drove Rick back to that spot for a reason. He knew the fire would attract walkers. He also parked right under the hanging guy and threw the axe on the roof so Rick would have to see him face-to-face and be reminded yet again what happens to people that don't listen. Does smoke work that way? Just hangs in the air like that? I mean, I mean the, it, the whole pile might have been smoldering and just... Like, I mean, burning wet leaves, maybe, but maybe that's, maybe, the, yeah, there's wet logs. I don't know, because I usually when stuff is burning, the, the heat... You know, convection. You're right. It's, it all goes up. It all goes up, right? Yeah. Um, it doesn't act like a fucking fog machine, but I mean, either way, like uh, I didn't. This show might take liberties with physics. Does, is will one thing really? I'll say. Really? Yeah. Okay. They might do that. They might. They might. They might. Yeah. Uh, a cu- couple of corrections. So that was one of them. The other correction, which is a just absolute duh moment. Uh, Patrick W. and a bunch of other people wrote in to tell me that Morgan's wife was not at the table. It was actually Sasha sitting between Morgan and Abraham. Oh, man. But Sasha, so I was fooled because it's a profile shot. She's like half hidden uh, behind mm-hmm. Morgan, and her hair is entirely different. Mm-hmm. Like, instead of having it pulled back in the ponytail she usually has, right. it's all poofed out. Okay. And I was like, oh, that looks like Morgan's wife. Nope. Totally wrong. Like I said, <laughs> I, I had no opinion because I that didn't match up my recollection, but I also wouldn't have swore that you know, on a stack of Bibles right. that she wasn't there. Cause, uh, we were, we were under some serious time constraints last, last week. Yeah. That's on me. Uh, Joe M it's Joe M the ratings guy. Joe M wants to talk about the season premiere. Um, I'm actually curious about where it's at in relation to how it's been doing in other shows. So he says the mishandling of last season's finale wasn't enough to keep people from watching the season premiere. In fact, quite the opposite. Walking dead had its second highest rated episode ever. A very, very close second to the season five premiere, No Sanctuary, The Escape from Terminus. Total viewership of 17 million was 20% higher than the finale last year. To get 20% more viewers to come back is an impressive feat under any circumstance. To increase 20% after a finale that was, safe to say, not very well well received by fans is remarkable. Walking Dead has steadily increased its viewership every year until last year where it declined for the first time. 
Based on the numbers for the premiere, this trend looks to be reversing, which is extremely rare for a show that is entering its yeah. seventh season. And uh, we, uh, just from inside Bald Move Ball, we noticed like a pretty massive spike in our uh, expected traffic for last week's episode. Right. Now, sometimes we get that. Like, whenever there's a controversial episode, we notice a significant and, pr- and pr- fairly predictable uptick in our downloads because I feel like we've got this reputation as the assholes who shit on The Walking Dead. So when people want right. to seek out a controversial opinion, we're there to give it to them, and maybe we fucked up last week. But... <laughs> If we were still calculating as to take all this into effect. Right. But and I thought, like, well, maybe it's just that. Like, because I, I was actually blown away by how controversial the episode was by our mailbag standards. Um, but maybe it's just a spike that The Walking Dead, like, it's, it's, it's boats fly up floating a little bit higher in the water now. Yeah, I think that was part of it. Uh, he also continues, oh, and make fun of Talking Dead all you want for its content and pandering. But among the 18 to 49 year old viewers that advertisers love, there's a number two rated non-football show on all of TV for the week. Oh, and it costs nothing to make. I, I don't like, give a shit. It yeah. Could, it could have 900 billion people watching right. it, and I don't care. It's not a good show. I would That would pique my interest. That would have, like, intergalactic appeal <laughs> right. if it had 900 billion people watching it. But I uh, I don't know. I um, I know why they do it, because a lot of people... This is why our podcast... This is why our podcast network works, because people are... They love something, and they don't want the experience to be over. They want to prolong that experience and talk about that experience. And even if it's fairly superficial takes on things, I mean, that's one of the reasons our instant takes are are so popular, because it's not particularly well-informed. It's just two guys going, oh, shit, look, can you believe that? People love it because it allows them to prolong the good feelings they feel when they're watching their their, their favorite show. And AMC loves it because it probably costs $100,000 to make, and they pull in crazy money for it so yeah. uh and then adding to that um matt l writes in and um wonders if this might be all the proof they need to continue with this sort of trend they've got of these cliffhangers uh what do we think about that is this going to yeah, dude, despite going to encourage them it ain't going to discourage them that's for fucking sure and right. like i you know i don't know how much power the gimple and kirkman um and I guess Nicotero would throw them in there at that at that rating, um at that level now too, have when they're fighting with the money guys. Mm-hmm. But whatever whatever that balance of power, surely and even if you grant that they have an interest in telling a more compelling form of their story, uh, that's they had to. I mean, there's gotta be a lot of executives being like, See guys, all your fucking nerds were all pissed, but they all came back when we rang the bell. Yeah. Like I mean, it's the same way like video game. You go to any video game forum during during a pre pre release of a video game, and everyone's like, don't, "Remember, guys, we don't want to pre order. We don't want to get fucked. Right. We don't want to support microtransactions. We don't." And then every fucking time, it's record breaking pre orders and record breaking stuff on microtransactions because everyone has yeah. this fear of missing out. So until we as a people, us nerds, get a little bit more stiff in our spine about standing up to stuff like this and and you know care more about it than bitching online they're going to keep doing this to us right and on the meta level it's weird uh being a podcaster sure because i'm actively like say what you want um i think the walking dead is a an okay show Mm -hmm. i don't think it's a bad show i don't think it's a great show i think it's okay to good the gore and action elevate it uh, right to other for, from you know it's otherwise questionable dramatic underpinnings but by 
talking the, about this show, I am generating buzz for the show. Sure. Regardless um, whether of whether I'm saying negative things or positive things about the show, mm-hmm. it's being talked about. And that's all they really care about is that people are, even if people are tuning into their show exclusively to hear me rip it on a podcast, that right. doesn't matter to them. That's still an eyeball on their show. They're still, you are giving them money, essentially. But there's definitely, and I, I think... There's and, de- and I am too. And I, I, I'm a little bit torn by that sometimes. And I, if this show were worse, if this show were actually bad, right? I would, I would probably stop podcasting about it just for that. Mere or if fact. the podcast was a bummer to do, but we, we right. tend to to think it's funny and but, like. Doing but it. even if it was kind of fun to do and the show was real bad, yeah, I would feel bad about directing people to the show uh. or or continuing in the buzz for the show, uh, just keeping it in the limelight. You know, right? Yeah, I um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I will say that I think that there are limits, and they can only go to this well so many times. And the executives can slap themselves on the back all they want, but this is ultimately a cannibalistic strategy. This mm-hmm. is something that is is slowly slitting, and maybe it'll. It, maybe people will show up to see a person slit their own throat because you don't see that every day. Right. But just like the NFL, like after a year, I mean, it's, it's, I, I'm doing a little poking around and there's for the first time in decades showing some softening of their viewership because they've had a bunch of hmm. stuff that they have ignored as far as head injuries and, you know, uh, problems with the games and pro- like the stuff is piling up and people are not as interested in the product. And, you know, if you ignore those problems or even misinterpret like people being super fans of like of them accepting it, like people love something and they don't want to stop and you continue to abuse them, then you can get in a cycle to where it's this this downward cycle that you can't get out of. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, just as the NFL can't take it for granted, they're always going to be the biggest thing on Sunday. I think The Walking Dead has got that same lesson that like if they want to say that, oh, well, fans say what they will, but they can still come back for the you know the resolution the dramatic resolution i don't know man how many times can you how many times can you do that yeah because the other way you can bring people back is just solid storytelling and and characterization right it (laughs) it makes me wonder like how how strong are like soap operas still going because they have that formula too right right like we're just going to give you twist after twist and cliffhanger after cliffhanger and we're going to keep you coming back for the that's resolution. That's a good question because I've never really known a person that's into soap operas. Right. And I, I wonder My if My dad that... was a fan of wrestling, and that's the closest I can come to the same kind of phenomenon. Like wrestling yeah. is masculine story, this soap opera. Right. Right. I don't know. I wonder if the demographics are just changing hmm. in, in those ways. Could be. Uh, anyway, Mark to Hate, which... I, I don't I don't know if that's his real name or a name made up for The Walking Dead, but Mark DeHate says, uh, just two thoughts on The Walking Dead Season 7 premiere. You both talked a lot about how you wanted this episode to be at the end of last season for more of an emotional impact. While I tend to agree about the emotional impact bit, I think, it, uh, I gotta think if it was at the end of Season 6, there would be a way, wait, there would be way more casual fans taking the gut punch as a reason to quit watching the show and never come back, right? So that's interesting because there was a lot of, um, you know, backlash on the violence and the gratuity of it all, um, or gratuitousness mm-hmm. of it all. Um, so 
do you think people would have like had the clean break opportunity at the end of season so six? lastly so i every week i pick one podcast of ours to listen for quality control and this uh end of last week i chose the walking dead because it's coming back and i want to see okay what's it like and so i listened to the feedback uh just recently and mm-hmm. one point that we made was and i think it's persuasive is how many of these people saying that you know because Walking Dead's always been a pretty dark, depressing, violent show, are saying that because they were looking for reasons to quit a show that they've already kind of emotionally and mentally checked out on. Right. Like, like, are you looking, is, 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 this, is this really a straw that broke the camel's back, or has the camel's back been broken and it needed to be mended and put in traction, and, and this was just a convenient way to be like, you know what, fuck it, I'm done. Like, you know, it's like the... the, the it's like when you're uh, you're in a relationship and it's been kind of bad. The thing that makes you break up with a person is it the worst thing they ever done, or is it the thing that's just like okay, well, this is something. Yeah. And and there's also opposite from like oh, I want to break up with this person, but their mother just got diagnosed with, you know, fucking spinal disappropriation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying Whoa. to come with a fictional disease because I really don't want to, like, you know, make anybody think that I'm talking about people's spines. I know it's it's that's an not a diagnosis; that's a conviction. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a crime. Uh, but yet, some people suffer with the condition silently. Um, and then it's like, oh shit! Well, now I can't break up with, or it's like, oh, it's, right. it's Christmas time; you can't break up someone at Christmas. So it's like there's all these ways we rationalize to stay in or get out of relationships, and I wonder how much of that calculus goes into this kind of hand-wringing and moralizing about the depravity of last week's um, Walking Dead. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I do think it provides less friction for people to just sure. stop stop watching if it happens at the end of season six. Right. And people are kind of disgusted, you know, in however much as they might be. But I don't know, be. because that was such a huge topic from just our fan base and also the Walking Dead fan base. It was hard to find a person that really defended it in mm-hmm. good faith. Um, that like yes, there is some people that are writing a show off because it's so violent. But I, 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 I think that we're onto something with that. Like kind of scapegoating the reason why you want to just quit watching The Walking Dead. You want to reclaim your Saturday Sunday night for something else, right? Westworld maybe. Sure. Um, because that's a real thing. Like trying to decide which show you're going to watch first, which show you're going to DVR. Like if you can just simplify mm-hmm. that, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I, I think it makes it easier. I don't think that that necessarily would have been the the point that swayed a lot of people and there's also um, clearly genuine people that that was a breaking point oh yeah so yeah uh anyway he he also goes on uh, i can't exactly put my finger on it but there's something that just doesn't feel right to me about uh this coming right after rick and company just murdered like 30 of negan's people in their sleep he's talking about the deaths uh i'm not saying the survivors should be less sad about glenn and abraham but i don't know it feels weird is it just me I mean, is there anything to the idea that these people might have deserved the punishment they got? I think well, that's kind of what he's getting at here. I do think that that's in some these ways. These are things that you're actually. This is why I think this is such an interesting era of The Walking Dead because you are supposed to entertain those thoughts. This was much more. This preemptive strike is a much grayer area. Yeah, um, and it's something that like nation states grapple with. You know, if you got a right. clear and present danger, do you? 
do you act on it now or do you wait until it's clear? Like, you know, where do you value the sanctity of human life? And, you know, just because you got it in for the Nazis, does that mean they all are in uh, in league and gleeful about shoving Jews in the ovens? Or there's, uh, that, those, are, those are really interesting kind of like existential questions for, for life in general, which I think right. is much better than you're just standard morgalizing and, oh, what do we do this wolf? And, um, and I guess it's that only with more stakes and drama to it. So do you think any I of the think, characters see it that way? Oh, I bet. Think so? There will be like when we get back to Alexandria. That's what I'm saying. There, there will be a lot of bitter recriminations and and people saying I told you so and people saying we never had any business and we were fools to listen yeah. to you and if Dino Deanna were still alive, none of this. Like I feel like we're in for an episode or two of that fallout. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be some within Rick's group too, right? Um, so. But I think that's appropriate and interesting and stuff that should have happened and stuff that's, like, worthy of debate. It's not stupid or pointless. Right. Beverly B., it would be nice if just once when someone steals clothes, they would be a little too big or something. Maybe in the kingdom one size really does fit all. Yeah. And they do kind of just fit Well, Carol, you, you right? got to remember that season one Carol, her job was to sort and wash the laundry. She's got inside oh, information. It would right. be... Like, you know, me walking into a server room and knowing exactly what switches to steal. Well, of course I would. That's what was my, that was my profession. That's so true. I, I'm inclined to cut her a little bit of slack on the slack selection department. Okay. Good point. She said the whole time she was crying, she was surreptitiously <laughs> looking at the tags on the clothes and like, oh, God, oh, the cobbler. So good. <laughs> uh, Zach from Arkansas says, we're on the second episode and we're already getting... Okay, here's where some negativity starts. Shitty introductions to places, uh, to new places, and background on characters we don't care about. Someone really hated the choir. I, I would propose <laughs> this question, Zach. How can we care about characters we know nothing about? We have to first learn about them, yes? So, what, so how... Uh, man, again, I feel really bad because I feel like I can't tell whether I'm just, I'm just off of my game or like my, my expectations have really drifted this low, but... If you're going to introduce a guy like the King Ezekiel and his kingdom, mm-hmm. how do you do it? How do you ease people into that? Yeah, I thought it was fine. Though, now I will it. say um, that, like, I felt like in the comics that they kept this, like, uh, this 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 monologue that King Ezekiel gives about his true motivations came a lot later. So there's a lot of more of this, like, is this guy unhinged or not? And I kind of gotcha. felt like it was wise to just put that front and center because. It took a character that I think would have been dismissed as just ridiculous by a lot of people and gave it yep. some nuance. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, we learn more about the fucking tiger than what's happening to the group who just went the, through the most traumatic event in Walking Dead history. Well, R- Really, the only sure. thing that kind of happened was it appears they're trying to poison the Savior's supply with Walker-fed pork. But we've already seen the Terminus people eat Bob's leg, and they were fine, so am I, am I actually supposed to be giving this thought? Yeah, yeah, you're supposed to be giving it thought. I don't know what effect it would have, though. Well, and it's almost like it's a protest thing. It's like spitting in someone. Like, everyone's like, oh, spitting. It could be that, yeah. Spitting in your hamburger is like the war. But honestly, 99 times out of 100, it's not going to do anything, and you're not going right. to know it. Like, right, yeah. Um, and, I mean, that may be all this is. I right. don't know that they're expecting the saviors to get sick. Or even hoping that they will. Maybe it's just a fuck you. Because the other thing is they butcher and clean out the pigs. Like, if you let a pig eat a zombie hours before you butcher it, none of that rot is going to go right to them. Right. 
But, and you can see that Richard is kind of the one with the attitude toward the saviors, yes. right? And he's the guy who says, I want their bellies full of rot. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it might just be, like you said, uh, kind of fuck you to the saviors. Yeah, but I think you are supposed to wonder. And also the other thing is uh, this group doesn't have all the experience that Rick's group's got, and they got different experiences. So they might be thinking that, hey, maybe we're onto something. Maybe this will make him sick eventually. Maybe. Maybe we'll get lucky. Uh. All right, let's go to Dan. He says, did anyone else think that Carol's sweet housewife routine was terrible in front of Ezekiel? It's no wonder that he saw right through it. When she first got to Alexandria and pulled out this persona, it was great because it wasn't over the top and included subtle things like struggling to pull a big gun off of her shoulder, uh, etc. This time, it was so over the top that you don't even have to know the real Carol to know that this person was full of it. Just wondering if you guys noticed this as well. I thought, thought that was intentional. Yeah, like you're supposed to yeah. sh- get the idea that she's really struggling to give this any kind of face, right? And the fact that Ezekiel caught on to it, like, um, I kind of think that they soft pedaled that honestly because he's like, "Oh, you know, you had me fooled." Like, no, I really, yeah. If you're as self aware as you claim to be, you, I, I wish that he had said something more along like, "Come on, Carol, you're not. I'm, I'm, I. You, you might think I'm a little off, but I'm not stupid." Right. But, you know, they didn't choose to go that way. He should have said something like, maybe if I looked a little less ridiculous, mm-hmm. you would have pulled it off. Right. <laughs> maybe if this whole thing was a little less ridiculous. Right. But she, but instead, like, I guess that's a one false note of speech because he's talking about what a chameleon she is when really right. that, I mean, again, but also he does community theater. There's sure. There's a lot of varying degrees of acting going on at those those things. I suppose so. And, you know, it's, it is. It's just an entirely ridiculous thing that she's witnessing. Right. Uh, so Gabby says, leave it to The Walking Dead to bring you to a screeching halt. What is it with this show that gets you on a high only to drop you on your head? What a waste of time. Yeah, a lot of people okay, disliking so this episode. I will say that I thought it was curious that they go away from the breaking news of Alexandria to mm-hmm. have the kind of sleepy introduction to the kingdom. Like, if you're going to do the yeah. single storyline point of view, and I understand why they would do it for this, because it is be very hard to match the two tones they're going for. But maybe, maybe a stick with Alexandria for another episode to right. get the resolution. Yeah, I, th- I think you could have gone... And then you go back to the kingdom. Yeah. But... Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, yeah. I think it would have been perfect to have maybe... I don't know. I don't know. Even, frankly, even Tara coming back is a hard thing to pull off with the tone of this. It's just, uh, yeah, there's so much shit. And that's, I mean. She's got a lot of angst coming her way. Yeah. Yeah. But they do, they do need to, I don't know, they need to master the old standby of episodic television where they just, you know, you can have Data learning to tap dance at the same time a child is in sick bay, quarantined, and struggling to die. You know, not to die. Like, you got to figure out how to get those tonal shifts and, and, and give due time to every character or you got this, especially I think it even gets worse when you're talking about serialized television because mm-hmm. people want to know what's going to happen next. And when you break that, sh- I always found that super like the first time I can remember encountering that was in the Lord of the Rings where like they get me in a fever pitch about what's going on to fellowship. And then they start a new book and like that whole other book is completely different. Like they, they got into a different part of the world and like, what the hell? Huh. And then the next yeah. book is all the other. And, like, I was so used to having that interleave, so I never had to go more than a couple chapters wondering what was going on, that it was really distracting and bumming me out. Hmm. Um, 
and I I don't know like that's a perfectly fine way to tell a story, but it's certainly something I decided as a thirteen year old that I didn't like. Okay, so and as a forty year old, forty year old, I haven't cotton to it yet. Right, uh, Mark from Milwaukee. Maybe we got a couple of couple of doozy emails here. Not liking the show. Uh, he says, "Why? How does The Walking Dead follow their best episode, maybe ever, with their worst ever?" Calling this the worst episode ever, huh? Yeah. This turd was boring and dumb with yet again more yammering on about good in the world. Uh, yeah, I guess I just I don't see it that way. I didn't think last episode was their best, not by a long shot. And I well, don't think this is their worst, not by a long shot. Yeah, so, like, I mean, I guess you got to grant that it was slightly, it was a different take on the world still, you know, that there's still good in this world and whatnot, like... Yeah, I mean, it was definitely uh, an evolution for those characters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm arguing against myself two years ago at some some, some of these emails. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to plow through another negative one here. Dan from Philly says, well, 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 this episode was as much a contradiction as some of its heavy morgalizing dialogue. What I was expecting was a fuck-up of massive proportions. What I got was a pretty good episode with some solid character development. Oops, sorry, Dan, I misjudged your email. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This is where the good stuff starts. After the CDC, prison terminus, the hospital in Alexandria, it doesn't feel out of place for Carol to be where she's at right now. I can't believe I'm saying this, but these last two episodes might be the start of something good. The other thing that makes a big difference is the characters actively calling bullshit on it. Yeah. Like Carol's like, this... You know, like, you want to tell me the world's a good place? This is fantasy land. I have no time or patience for this. Right. Um, I I like the fact that, um, you know, not very many people were willing to call Morgan on his bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and let him have a dangerous degree of freedom. And the fact that, I don't know, like, because I don't want to go and litigate the last two seasons. But sure, um, I feel like there's a difference between Morgalizing and what Ezekiel was doing in this episode. Mm-hmm. All right, Nathan E. says, I enjoyed this episode. I just wish the showrunners had a way to keep the plot moving forward other than splitting up the gang Scooby-Doo style. Yep. This has been a, this has only been a problem since Gimple took over in the show, uh, uh, took over the show in season four. Instead of getting one episode of The Kingdom, one episode of Alexandria, and one episode of The Saviors, can we just get 15 to 20 minutes of different locations in each episode? Yep. Kind of talked about that, so a little dry pie there. You know, one thing I was just thinking, because I, I, every time I think about interleaving these stories, I always think in terms of, like, Star Trek, The Next Generation, where you would literally, you know, like, in between commercial breaks, you'd have touch on all the stories. Mm-hmm. Why can't they? The first half of the hour is all the Alexandria stuff or all the Kingdom stuff, and then we have a commercial break. I mean, obviously, several commercial breaks, and then the back half of the hour is going to be dealing with Alexandria. Like, you don't have to, like, yeah, I, weave it, like, you know, where you've got Jerry juxtaposed, yucking up about it's fruit time, juxtaposed with Maggie sobbing about Glenn. Right, you don't have to smash cut between those yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. You, you can lead with the funny stuff in with the heart. Or vice versa. Polar, or know? vice versa. Have some dramatic sure. relief or comedic relief to to kind of uh, slightly leave you, sweeten. Leave you feeling good at the end. Yeah. I, if you want. I don't. I, you're, like a pomegranate. Is, you bite into it. It's bullshit you get down to the seeds and it'll be sweet that and from time to time you're going to have to focus on the you know for dramatic effect and for storytelling purposes you know the 
Uh, Game of Thrones does it from time to time where you have a single point of view for an entire episode. But that should be the exception because I feel like it breeds impatience in your watchers. At least it does for me. All right. Danny J from Vienna says, I quite enjoyed the newest episode of The Walking Dead. Found Morgan a lot easier to take now that he isn't spouting his circle of life bullshit and realized things aren't all black and white. But one thing bothered me in this episode. Is Ezekiel a moron? I mean, he meets Carol... Uh, works her out pretty quickly, and then proceeds to lay bare the entire sham that is the King character uh, that he plays to Carol, the person he's never met before. I mean, and the arch who appears to be the arch skeptic. Right? Is that wise? Either either that, or he's actually sat down with every person in the kingdom and revealed his secrets. The joke being, everyone plays along with his sham without realizing the person next to them also knows. That would be pretty funny. <laughs> right? No one will break the silence yeah, on like, the secret. I gotta see. Don't, don't tell. Don't tell. Right? I don't think that's how humans work. It does make me think if he can genuinely, uh, if he genuinely can read people this well, he surely knows how dangerous the saviors are, and him convincing Morgan and Carol who he knows can hold their own in a fight to stay leads me to the fact that he might be plotting something. I'm not sure how solid the saviors are on Ezekiel thinking himself a king, but he surely has something up his sleeve. Uh, I believe this is why he wants Morgan to train that kid too. That kid being Ben. Uh, we see they don't have a lot of fighting men and I don't think the, a small five part harmony choir will hold back the evil dominance of Negan and company. Uh, we also find out in the episode they lost some of their best fighters during a building clear out. So maybe Ezekiel's cards on the table talk with Carol was him Reaching out in desperation. He's got everything to gain and nothing to lose. What do you think about that? It does raise an interesting question. What the fuck did Negan make of the kingdom when he first established contact? Yeah. Oh, I'd love to see a flashback of that. Yeah. That scene. Yeah. His his eyes must have bugged three feet out of his head. Well, I mean, the tiger alone. Yeah. Like, you know, I I don't, I don't know. I guess I, I, that would have been interesting. Um... So what was the central thesis of the question? What what is he trying to recruit badasses? I guess. Yeah, I mean that was kind of the conclusion. I feel like I feel that. like if I'm taking Dan, uh, not Daniel Benjamin at his word that um, Ezekiel is a reluctant king at this point that he is very wary of uh, uh, unintentionally rhyming his phrases. He's very wary of keeping his of putting his people in harm's way because. I mean, if I unpack his psychology, he knows he's a sham leader. He's fake it till he's make it. He made leadership decisions that caused people de- death. Mm-hmm. If he's self-aware at all, which he is, that would cause you to think, like, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just doing this to make people happy. What I did on kind of a lighthearted lark got people killed. I cannot let that happen again. Hmm. Like, I am not yeah. a battlefield commander. I am not a king with God-given right to rule. What you know, and these people followed my orders, got themselves killed. Like I feel like that's kind of a mind fuck for that character. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a lot of interesting right. things going on here with this setup. It is kind of a silly setup, I grant you. And I would love to to hear more of like what the actual Kingdomites feel about the situation because mm-hmm. it's almost like a L. Ron Hubbard situation where you've got a cult founded from a guy on the top that knows it's all bullshit and it's cynical about it. Right. But the yeah, the, the, the faithful are true believers. And that's the thing. This is just the setup. Let's wait for them to knock it down. You know, I, I want to see this unfold. I think they're right to be sus- skeptical because it's just like The Walking Dead to have all these th- questions that they raise and have no good answers to. Yeah, there's that possibility as well. And it's like, well, you know, we got to get King Ezekiel and a tiger in here, so fuck it. Right. 
Travis M. from Morgantown, West Virginia, says The Walking Dead suffers from having no end game. I think at times that is unfair because it is a show about surviving, and our opinions are colored by being fans of shows like Game of Thrones, for instance, where it's a race for the Iron Throne, or it has, like, this story driver in general. Right. Uh, Because there is no end game, it strives to shock us in order to keep us coming back. However, I did like the premiere, and it led to one of the best episodes of the show thus far, The Well. First, I would watch Carol and Morgan do anything at this point. They make for a great pairing. Second, the kingdom is one of the cooler places we have seen, especially because of its leader and the tiger. This is a place I would want to live in the zombie apocalypse. Ezekiel raises some really valid points to Carol. While the saviors are terrible and he is no more than a showman, he has truly created the one real society we have seen following the virus. Our world works because we believe in it, and we we each try to play our parts. Rick never got that. Alexandria tried to do that but failed to understand the exterior threat. Negan and the Saviors believe chaos is the answer. The Kingdom believes the lie and appeals to the heartfelt hope we as humans desire. I'm extremely excited about the possibility of this arc uh, and the season. They, uh, he does have a question here at the end. He says, why does Ezekiel ask Morgan to train Ben? But we kind of already talked about that. Yeah. He, he theorizes that maybe he needs an heir. Um and, you know, it, it would be an interesting development if either of them were to die. What would happen to that's the kingdom? True. That's that true. Thing. And he goes, he leads from the front, too. I mean, he's out there actively dispatching zombies and leading yeah. them on these raids. So it's possible that if, would happen. If Ezekiel dies, and we've seen, like, uh, I, it makes me think of the Prophets of Doom episode from Dan Carlin where they talk about, is it Munster? Or the, the, that, that one cult, the, the one where the cult leader oh, takes they box over. themselves in the city, right. The, yeah, and, yeah. and, like, everything kind of was going okay until the one main guy died. Yeah. And then it's just a succession of goons and, uh, you know, opportunists uh, took over and mm-hmm. just made the place a hell on earth. Yeah. And you can see the kingdom, like, you know, who takes over? Like, maybe if Richard takes over, it wouldn't be too bad. Maybe he leads the people on a... Uh, p- people's crusade against Negan gets them all butchered. Like maybe, yeah. You never, you never know. But that is uh, the fragile nature. It's even more like you know, if Rick goes down, you could easily see a world in which Abraham or Michonne or Maggie or Glenn or even Daryl had taken the lead, and things kind of keep going because uh, he wasn't so much a cult of personality. Um, right. Whereas right. He- Ezekiel is totally a cult of personality. Yeah. Like I'm surprised they're not giant Ezekiel head banners like mm-hmm. uh, on the buildings and stuff. Like almost, I guess that would be all too creepy North Korea for the yeah. show. But that's kind of what they're doing. A little too big brother for my taste. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Let me ask you this: Do you think Ezekiel's a badass? I don't know because all of he's done is dispatched helpless zombies. Right. But he does have a tiger. He does, but that doesn't mean he He doesn't himself. take the tiger out in the field with him, too. Like, I was kind of oh, surprised right. when he they went on the pig raid that he didn't have Shiva at his side. Yeah, get that tiger up on a horse. Let's do this. <laughs> Come on. Uh, ride the tiger like a horse. There um, you go. That might be more Like, go, go He-Man with this shit. Yeah. it's It's got a life debt to you. Come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really exploit that life debt. It weighs 1,000 pounds. What do you weigh, a 185? I think you could carry that on on, oh, on, yeah. its, on its shoulders. Um, I can't wait for this tiger to get unleashed against man or undead. Yeah. It's going to be like if, if a pig can do that to a walker, what's a 1,000-pound killing machine going to do? Rampage. All right, I'm going to leave it at that on the, the positive note of what, I'm just going to leave you guys with a thought of what a thousand pound killing machine could do. 
Oh, I was wrong. A male, uh, a female tiger maxes out at three hundred seventy pounds. I drastically what? overestimated how that's nothing. Males can get to seven hundred, but yeah, can sorry. Pigs get to three seventy pretty easily. <laughs> Probably they're a little denser. I would definitely take a three hundred seventy pound pe- pig over a three hundred seventy pound tiger. Okay. I mean, I think I can take the pig. The tiger would just be, right. it'd be a shit show. Like, oh, I better yeah. have a gun. The pigs don't have any sharp feet to grab you with. No, yeah. Like, yeah. They, they can tusk you. They can, I mean, I'm a, sure. like a wild boar will rip you up, but yeah. I'd still rather fight a wild boar than a, a goddamn tiger. Yeah, it looks like these, these pigs in this episode didn't have tusks or anything. No, a tiger's They're a disemboweling machine. Yeah. But isn't that, like, most of the wild boar in, like, uh, the, the south, aren't they, like, essentially feral pigs? Like I thought the all pigs had tusks. Tu- like but but like in the wild they would start selecting oh, right. for larger tusks again. They would, and, yeah. yeah, so Yeah, I just haven't had the time yet. Mm. Uh sure. Anyway. Okay, uh, that's it for feedback. Okay. Are we, we got us I got a, a couple spoiler thoughts. We're going to have a spoiler okay. do we have spoiler feedback? Sure, I can do a couple quick spoiler emails. Okay. Cuz otherwise it'll be a 5 minute stand up routine. Yeah. Uh so yeah, that's it for the episode. We will be back uh Next week for another one of these. Watching Dead at BaldMove.com, of course, yep. for your feedback, and forums.baldmove.com if you like to get on the weekly uh, forum thread. And if you're into spoilers, stick around after the music. We're going to be doing a short spoiler section. If you're not, we will see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See ya. And we're back with the spoiler section. You, you in the mood to talk about another Kirkman remix, oh, mix, mix? Why not? Why, let's do it. So in the comics, uh, Michonne and Ezekiel fall in love. R- okay, right. In in the show, Michonne and R- Rick, they got the Rashon thing going on. Uh, she's unavailable for the, the to initiate the romance plot. Carol is uh, dead in the comics. So okay. we shove her forward into the King Ezekiel love plot. Into his clutches. Does that, like, because I thought of when, you know, King Ezekiel and Michonne got together, I'm like, well, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to make that sound too racial, but, like, they, they look like, I mean, they, they're a very striking couple. You put them together, and it's like, yeah, this looks like king and queen almost. Sure. And yeah. that's kind of how he courted her. Like, he was looking for, whereas Carol, um... I don't know. Like, I definitely think she's prime for a love plot because I, I thought that she was kind of uh, always barking up Daryl's tree, didn't go anywhere. Uh, I never mm-hmm. really bought in her relationship with Carhartt. Right. Um, I thought he it was... it wasn't so much a relationship as... She's, she's way too bad. It was bad a throwaway at, relationship. Yeah, yeah. She was just, you know, making time with him. Yeah. Um, but Ezekiel definitely has got a lot more... I mean, I, I don't know whether he's a badass or not, but he's certainly a stronger personality. And right. and 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 um, Carol has become a, a strong personality on her own right. Um, and kind of they've has she would I, I thought that some of the his discussion about faking it till you make it maybe appealed to her because she went from mousy housewife and and not even mousy like repressed and. 
and you know completely ne- neglected and treated as almost slave labor by her her husband mm-hmm. uh to like this respected community leader to like a rambo type badass um and that's kind of an improbable rise to power and, and something that would give her insight into how a man like Ezekiel could rise to the same station. A guy who's a zookeeper and a, a sideshow player, and now he's king of this joint. Yeah, maybe. And I mean, maybe she's going to fake fake it till she makes it on the uh, city front, you know, hmm. like the kingdom front. But that's one of the reasons I was so... Um, I mean, I, I was, uh, during the the live watch and even this podcast, I'm thinking like, am I seeing, are they actually laying this love track down or am I seeing it because all of these speeches were given in the context of him wooing Michonne? Right. And I know where that went. Um, That's probably part of it. But I, I mean, not knowing any of that stuff, I think, but there were hints of it. But the other thing in the comics is Michonne was just never that into Ezekiel. Because oh, okay. at the end of the day, Ezekiel is kind of a faker, and um, he is. Uh, if my recollection of Ezekiel is, he is a bit. Um, I mean, he's a pretty noble guy, a pretty righteous dude, but he's a little bit oversensitive to his own failures, um, a little bit reactionary, a little bit overly cautious, mm-hmm. which is something that Michonne doesn't really have any patience for. A little, right. little not as strong as he lets on, which is kind. Of, whereas I guess that would also be bugaboos for Carol. Like, when she finds out, like, I don't care how good his pomegranates are, when she finds out this appeasement strategy with the saviors, I I mean, how how does the modern Carol take that? Does she see that as prudent? Uh, Does she see that as lunacy? Maybe. I mean, how much realist do you think she is at this point? Well, to me, they use a lot of symbology to show that she is a realist. Like, that's, I Mm -hmm. think, what the whole her humanizing zombies in the beginning and then see them for what they are in the end, that mm-hmm. was kind of like showing that her and Morgan have kind of come to this stabil- stable position. Right. Um, but still, like, you know, knowing what I know about the Saviors and knowing what Carol knows about and her experiences with Woodbury and all these other things, like, I just don't think she's going to have the patience for someone saying, oh, yes, this is a sustainable deal. We can just keep keep giving these madmen what they want and if for whatever reason we fall short one week they're going to kill one of us right i mean and, she might and not. kill the best of us even they're not going to do you know they're going to they're going to hit us where it hurts the most but maybe she can be convinced you know i mean she was convinced that killing was not the path uh by morgan right she she can change her mind certainly so maybe ezekiel can do that for her Okay, what did the, you say? You you implied that uh, there was some. Uh... Yeah, got a couple of emails. Um, Teej? Teague? Teej. I'm going to call it Teej, like TJ, except. <laughs> All right. Spelled out. Uh, Northern From Northern Wisconsin says, I love your podcast. I'd like to hear your thoughts on how they've been following the comics since they left the prison. Uh, I feel like since Andrea died, they've done a great job of taking the best parts from the source material and building up from there. Uh, I don't know. So since Andrea died, that'd be right in the middle of the Woodbury stuff, um, toward toward the end of the Woodbury stuff. But right, I don't know. I mean, what do you? Essentially, Alexandria is between that, right? And I guess Terminus. Yeah, there's the Terminus or the Hunter's Plot. Terminus, and I, felt, I thought was pretty good. I, yeah, I felt like they they needlessly fucked with the. That, and that's the reason I stopped. 
it was my pattern to like I read all the way th- up to the, the the Whisperers arc in the comics, and I stopped there. And then my habit was to then reread the arc of where I thought the show was likely to go. Like you know, I'm going to read these 16 episodes of what I think they'll cover in this half season, so it's fresh in my mind. And what mm-hmm. I found that is that led to a disastrous policy of me constantly nitpicking every single time I felt that the show made a worse decision in the comics, which I felt was like at least 50-50, if not more frequently. And it was bumming me out. Mm-hmm. So I think last year was the year that I announced that I'm not going to do that anymore mm-hmm. um, because, like, the Hunter plot, like, I got enough feedback where people are like, you're just being kind of like a comic purist dick about it, <laughs> that I'm like, okay, fine. The only way I can turn that part of my brain off is just starve it. Right. So I, I think what I'm going to do is figure out whatever they cover this year and I might reread it afterwards and then like as part of those as, as part of the uh, the wrap up season wrap up we do in a spoiler section I'll kind of talk about variances and how that impacted it but so I'm kind of a bad person to to judge how they did it like I know that they did I mean my biggest criticisms I guess in the post um, terminus plot is just how damn long it took everything to get into place and how much right. You know, navel gazing and like, and how, you know, like they didn't. Some of the stuff that Glenn was trying to do with Nicholas was, I thought, strained and dumb. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, but they, 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 I think, I think they did real justice to Rick's arc and how he kind of took over Alexander by force. And right. um, I feel like they're doing really good work with Negan and his guys so far. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm even. But in a but worse there you go. It's been three them, to four so. years since I read. You know, I think issue 100 is where the 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 one where Glenn gets beat to death. It's ah. probably been four years since I read that issue. So it's right. been that long since I and and I stopped. The last time I read it was I read through the Hunter arc because I knew they were going there in that half after the terminus that half season, and I I stopped. So. Okay, uh, another question from Tiege here. Also, do you think Negan ends up in jail in the season finale? Uh, season 8's mid-season or just some random episode following a three-episode arc of Morgan's backstory debating corn syrup content on Duane's juice? <laughs> Duane's? Duane's juice? My ideal situation is... Oh, spelled not how I would spell Duane. <laughs> with a U instead of W. My My fondest hope is that they take these eight episodes to lead up to all out war and and they then have the all out war that they come back in February and they do the all out war and they conclude just as they do in the comic books with with Rick deciding to imprison Negan and then starting season 8 would be the the two year flash forward so Carl Riggs can start uh, or sorry Carl Chandler Riggs can finally start playing Carl age appropriately uh and then the show proceeds as normal from there or as normal as they can in a world where Andrea's dead and Carol's alive and <laughs> Michonne is sleeping with Rick, like there's right. already there's a lot of huge remixes. a lot of huge re- yeah. you know Kirkman signature remixes going on. But I feel like that, and I don't care when they remix the characters. I actually think mm. that's kind of cool. But when they throw away or fuck up plot developments, is where yeah. I think it's dumb. Like for example, you know, if I want to go back and bitch about last week. Why do you kill Denise? Why do you give Abraham's Denise death or give Denise Abraham's death if you're going to kill Abraham two episodes and then anyway? 
Oh, to me to that screams right? they're in a the writer's room like, man, we gotta really go fucking balls out next year. So let's kill Abraham and Glenn. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't feel like they wanted to do that, and that's I felt like they they were forced to do that to try to make salvage something from the way they they mishandled it, and that's the kind of shit that gets them in trouble. Right. Speaking of getting in trouble, John D from Tucson has a question. Uh, do you think they might go with a full on Kirkman remix with Negan instead? of imprisoning him he might be killed off he's uh when you know the all-out war if they do that then they truly are lost because they set up with rick saying i'm going to kill you they set that arc up and if he just ends up just fulfilling it like some kind of cheesy 80s action hero Mm -hmm. then why what the fuck why do any kind of philosophy or moralizing on this show right like what is the what is the arc what is the you know, uh, like that, that's the true start of civilization when Rick decides to, you know, start a penal system rather than everyone, like, you, than, than the code of Rick, which is if you kill someone, you die. Like, I, to me, if they do that, then I, I, that might make me stop watching the show. I feel like as a fan, that would be the more inherently satisfying thing to do, though, is to make him finally able to carry out the word that he gave him about killing him. But I've seen Rick Eight get. Episodes, I've seen Rick get ago. people kill him and kill him good. That's not anything different. Like to right, me, this, this is. A, I'm I'm setting this up as like the potential trap. Yes, yeah, what you're saying. Into. I just feel like that if they do that, they misunderstand their own arc so much, right. or are so willing to screw with it for whatever reason that like I I for damn sure won't read any more comic books until this show is done. Why would mm-hmm. I? It's, it, can, it can just fuck up with my expectations. <laughs> like right now, I'm, I'm, right. I haven't read anything past the whispers, and I thought about maybe treating myself after the season and, and reading because I'm kind of super interested to know where the story has gone from there. But if they pull something like that, then I just, there's no fucking way. <laughs> so I've, I've asked the question, like what happens – you know, I've theorized about how this could be another show like Game of Thrones where the right. TV show catches up with the source material, sure. and then what do you do? There's also another possibility of this, which is the show just fucking goes forever. Like, like well, we could be staring down 20 years of Walking Dead like they said they wanted to do. It's like The Simpsons, yeah. And it's ever-evolving, and it still hasn't caught up with the comics, and now we're... I don't I think mean, you can how, do... I Man, I don't know, because... We're still at the height of The Walking Dead seven seasons in. It seems like the run... That's surprising to It me. seems like the run, those really long-run shows are almost always animated, like Flintstones right. and Simpsons, because yeah. like it's hard to lock down a guy like Chandler Riggs. Like, hey, you're going to be Walking Dead for all of your professional life, and that's the way it is. Like, and, and if you don't do that and you kill them off, then you have to reestablish characters sure. that people love just as much. If it's the and whole, that's a difficult and thing And if this is do. the story of Rick and Carl the whole time, I mean... So I meant to say that earlier on. The guy asked about, like, you know, the open-ended nature of The Walking Dead. Yeah. Do you think Kirkman has, like, an end in mind? Like, when he says this, well, you'll fully appreciate that this is actually the story of, you know, Carl. What does he mean by that? Does he just mean, like, I kind of generally want to go in a Prince Valiant situation where the main character gives way to his son and then that's going to be the bulk of the story going forward or do you think he actually has a like I in this issue Rick is going to die and I'm going to have this thing as where Carl's defining moment of a leader and here's where Carl falls in love and he's going to have this many babies and Negan's going to come back out of more nebulous than that yeah I, 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 too. I think it's the former where it's I wish he knew where he was going because I just don't like 
How many years can this show run? You know, we asked that four years ago. And if if you told me that in season seven it would be going stronger than it ever had before, I would have been very surprised. I can't believe it's come back, too. It's kind of amazing. Right. Now, the other thing is, like, I just don't, from so the 10, actor's perspective. I mean, 10 seems almost guaranteed at this point. But from it, I just go back to the actor's perspective. Is like, who wants to be... It'd be one thing if this show was winning a bunch of Emmys and this was like, you right. know, the best thing on television, quote unquote. I mean, it's the it's the biggest thing on television and maybe they can start giving Andy Lincoln some executive producer credits and, you know, I, I don't know. They talk Chandler Riggs' parents into signing some crazy indentured servitude agreement. Like, <laughs> right. Uh, but, I mean, they do seem to love working on this show. Like I've yeah. never like yeah. usually uh, they got rid of the malcontents, all the Darabont faithful, right. and it does seem like Andrew Lincoln and Norman Reedus have a hoot making this show. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's good enough. Like and, Andrew Lincoln's like I had a successful indie career, I've done some things, and like I'm content to do this until they decide to kill me. I but I mean, can you imagine this show being on for twenty years? With those people, at it the, would be unprecedented at the top of the the actors list here. Yeah, like like I could see a, Andrew Lincoln. I could see years a in. Walking Dead being on air twenty years from later. Right, like Fear, or like if they figure like, well, Fear was a big mistake. Let's reboot something better. You know, like mm-hmm. Dread the Walking Dead. I don't know something, but the Walking Dead being on for twenty years seems hard to believe. Yeah, it does. I I don't know. It still shows no signs of slowing. So. Uh, it will. We'll just have to stick around and see. Yeah, if we're still doing this podcast thirteen years from now, there's a bigger question. <laughs> like <laughs> fuck me, I don't want to do that. But uh, that'll be. If interesting. I start collecting Medicare, and I'm still and I and I and, I, and, I, and Social Security, and I'm still doing the Walking Dead podcast, it'll be time to reexamine my life's choices. Yes, it will. All right, I think that's about it for this episode of The Watching Dead. Thanks everybody for joining us. We'll see you next week. See ya.